Welcome back to the EdTech Takeout. This is episode 115. I am joined today by the official co-host, Gina Rogers. Hello. Welcome back. Today we are joined by two of our teammates, Lynn Kleinmeyer and Bridget Castelluccio. Welcome, ladies. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yep, that's Lynn and... Hello. And that's Bridget. Thanks for joining us today, ladies. This episode, we are jumping back into Universal Design for Learning, or UDL, as you may often hear it called. And we brought our resident experts in to share more about this topic. Now, I know we've talked about UDL in the past, but it's such an important topic. We wanted to bring it back to the forefront again. Thank you. (laughs) So let's get started with what exactly is UDL? So Bridget and I are like drawing straws here. (laughs) I'm going to jump in. UDL is a mindset. Universal Design for Learning, it's really all about removing barriers proactively for students and thinking intentionally as you are crafting learning experiences, gathering materials for learning experiences, even creating the learning environment um, to think about what might be potential pitfalls for students and really taking that into consideration and being mindful of that and removing those barriers so that the greatest amount of students can meet success, have access to the learning opportunity. So what are some common misconceptions about UDL? Well, a lot of people think it might be a checklist, just something that you do. But as Lynn said, it's really a mindset and framework. One thing that is also a misconception is it's just for a certain group of learners. And we need to think about what's good for some can be good for all. And debunking that average myth, there's no average student. Uh, We have various jagged learner profiles. So that is um, a misconception. And it also... A misconception is it has to be, it's super complex. And when people really dig into it, they find out they're doing things that follow that framework, but the key is intentionality with those. Um, And a misconception, it's just good teaching. Again, it's purposeful, it's intentionally planned because you know your learners and you know they'll be variable at different times. So you are designing for them. So how do you go about knowing exactly what it is that your learners need and make sure to make the appropriate shifts in your instruction to accommodate those needs that learners have? You know, I mean, it's such a good question of uh, trying to balance a little bit of that personalized learning and universal design for learning, because that is another common misconception. Um that universal design for learning is not personalized learning where there's individual plans for every single student. It's more about getting to know your students as learners. So, you know, actually giving learning inventories and kind of asking some of those kinds of questions as a starting point. But more importantly, it's about empowering your students to get to know who they are as learners. And when you're designing with the universal design for learning lens, especially at the beginning of a school year, for example. It's about thinking about the types of learners that you've experienced in the past and starting to remove some common barriers that you've identified um, and really giving the kids the opportunity to explore and pivot and choose what it is best for them, but then including your students from 
whatever that starting point is throughout the rest of the school year and that learning opportunity to kind of define what it is that they need as well. So it doesn't always have to fall only on the teacher. It's about empowering your students and transferring some of that ownership of the learning to them. Mm -hmm. Which I think in a classroom is really, it's a challenging, um, it can be challenging, especially if we're not building in time for students to reflect on learning experiences and what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And I think even as teachers, when we're in the classroom, reflection is one of the first things out the window because it takes time and we're, we're really cramped for trying to get all the content in or whatever, but um, how important it is for kids to recognize what's working for them. Like you said, you know, if you want to empower them to make those choices, they but they also have to know what choices are the best choices for them too. Okay, so how would you say UDL works within a multi-tiered system of support? So if we're looking at MTSS, where does UDL, what's the relationship between the two of them? You know, so it's interesting because actually in ESSA, um, that Every Student Succeeds Act, when it first came out, it actually names universal design for learning multiple places. And then that's where, of course, your MTSS system comes from is that idea of trying to enact and remove those barriers for those students. And so really the ultimate goal of MTSS and the MTS framework is to intervene early and to provide those opportunities for students to be successful. That's what UDL is all about. And so when you start thinking about those different tiers of the MTSS system, it's that universal core instruction, that tier Mm -hmm. one instruction. If we are designing proactively with empathy from the get-go, we are removing those barriers so that students can experience and have access to the learning in a way that's meaningful for them so that they can be successful. And yes, there's small portions of, of your learning population that are maybe going to need some additional support, but you're already building in the support at the beginning, as opposed to retroactively trying to intervene. So it fits perfectly into all of the conversations that our districts are having across the country about you know supporting their students and giving them that access to the learning in the from the very beginning. It's a perfect it's a perfect entry point in that universal tier one core instruction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes looking at the ways in which we are creating the learning experiences and how those ways sometimes don't allow everyone to be successful. And so if we're trying to get those learning experiences available for every single student, what are the things that we might need to do to shift things a little bit so it is um, available to every single kid? Yeah, and exactly. So when you think about universal design for learning, I mean, from the get-go, the whole piece, Bridget and I are actually teaching a course right now. It's called Firm Goals, Flexible Means for a reason. The cornerstone of universal design for learning is knowing what your standards are, like what is it you're trying to get after, Um, and really being intentional from the beginning of, okay, So with engagement, how are you inviting students into that learning process? How are you making them aware of what the goals are? Um, How are you helping them sustain that effort and persistence and have, like Mindy was talking about before, those opportunities for self-regulation and reflection? But then also being super mindful of the materials that you're putting in front of your students and how is the modality of the content 
being shared in a way that's going to really allow kids to interact with it in a meaningful way or scaffolding the language or how are we crafting comprehension opportunities for students to actually construct the knowledge. And then you think about like everything that you were just saying, Gina, when you think about the action and expression column of the UDL guidelines, and you think about the modalities that students can have to represent their learning at any stage, sometimes there's restrictions that unintentionally, if we only hand our students a piece of text, for example, those students who can decode um, that particular piece of text, well, they're going to they're gonna rock things. But if a student has a need uh, for support and scaffolding with reading, how can we unlock that content so that the modality is not a barrier? And like you were saying, with looking at the assessments, sometimes the way we're measuring what our students do or do not understand is being done in a way that unfortunately puts up a roadblock. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really get the insight. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, there's times where maybe our hands are tied. Again, going back to that firm goal, if my standard that I'm trying to address has something to do with um, students decoding a piece of grade level text independently, well, then that's what they have to do. But if I'm trying to get my kids to understand the content, then providing scaffolds and and things like readers and and those kinds of pieces unlock the content. So it goes back to what are you trying to do and how are you getting your kids there in a way that's really going to be meaningful for them. So I think that leads us into the next question, but I'm going to ask two just to build some background before I ask what I really want to get to here is just um, at the beginning, we talked about how UDL is a framework. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it's a framework and then how you would use it for lesson design? Right. So as far as it being a framework, uh, Lynn mentioned there are three main components. And in within each, it's layered into different areas of what we can do to optimize the teaching and the learning experience for the students. The thing that's best about this is it's not linear. It's it's very fluid. So you might be trying to engage and recruit interest. And because of that, then you realize there might be something with how a student would like to express their learning. So as you are using that framework, it's at like that misconception of being a checklist. It's not because as you start to do one thing, you understand that it is going into all of the areas and you're getting that whole child because the goal is to have kids become expert learners so that they are resourceful and knowledgeable, that they um, are purposeful, they're motivated, and that they're also strategic and goal-directed. And that goes across to any content, any kind of learning experience. If we had students that were leaving school with those kinds of, uh, with that skill set, they would be able to tackle kind of pretty much anything. And then when you think about that lesson design, Lynn mentioned, unfortunately, we're doing it after the fact. We're doing it and we're being reactive. So you have to go into that lesson planning piece, knowing those things about your students or even thinking about what could be potential barriers of your students. And then for me, being just out of the classroom two years ago, like then what are the materials I'm using? What are the assessments that I'm using? And really, are they good for my students with their barriers. And a lot of times the assessments were no because they're a paper pencil, very traditional. 
And so when you think of English language learners, students with um, visual barriers, so many things that then you start to really, like, I can't turn it off now. Like, everything I look at, I'm evaluating all the materials and thinking about all those um, barriers ahead of time and then really intentionally putting them, so how can I remove those in the lesson? How can I give students choice and voice that honors different modalities, different strengths, but then also giving them the skills and opportunities to maybe learn something and how to do something that maybe they didn't realize that was a learning way for them. Mm -hmm. So if I was a teacher and I had like a string of text that I wanted, I was checking like comprehension, I would provide it in text, I would provide it in video, I would provide maybe an auditory version of it, maybe have a friend read it aloud. I mean, are those the things that we're thinking about? Absolutely. Right, okay. Yes, so visual, um, that auditory lens, images, I've done a lot of work with teachers this year and the value of sketch noting Mm -hmm. with both the teacher modeling that, but then giving students opportunity to do that Mm -hmm. using images to express what they want to know, because sometimes that word process is really, really challenging, like to get it out on paper or typing it. Mm -hmm. Then there's so much with technology that you can use that we at one point probably thought, oh, this is good for those students that have those specific needs for an IEP, Mm -hmm. but really they're it's good for all. I mean, we all use, like, I'll talk into my phone and have it type out something easily. So mm-hmm. we need to show that to students and empower them to use that in their daily learning experiences, not just every now and then. So as Bridget was saying, you know, when you think about these UDL guidelines, I they're called the guidelines. I do prefer framework because framework really is about framing your thinking. And to oversimplify everything Really, as you're designing that learning experience, you know, as you're lesson planning, you're thinking about, okay, so how am I going to invite my kids in to the learning experience from the get-go? How am I going to help them see why they should care and how it's relevant for them? And so going into that engagement column helps you consider and think about and gives you some things to ask yourself so that you're removing those barriers. Same thing as Bridget was saying, you know, as you think about, okay, so with the content, what might be some hiccups that they might encounter? How can I like help my students overcome those? And Bridget was giving amazing suggestions about, you know, some options. And that's really what it is. It's like thinking about what are my options as you're going through the learning process. And so it almost becomes like, I oversimplify it in my head of what am I doing before, during, and after the learning, because then you think about how am I asking my kids to demonstrate their learning? And the other thing is with all of this, and it kind of goes back to the misconceptions conversation, there's a, sometimes with the guidelines, a um, overwhelming feeling because there's a lot to think about and to consider, but it's all about finding your entry point as you're planning those lessons and really thinking about, okay, so what what are my options? What might I, I go back and, and do? And finding your entry point of, okay, so what's one thing I want to focus on? And going back to what Mindy was saying before of asking like, okay, so do I share things, for example, in multiple modalities? It doesn't always mean that you're thinking about, oh gosh, I have to do an audio, a, a visual, a print. Sometimes it's as simple as either or. I have a piece of text my kids need to look at. I'm an ELA teacher. I need their eyes on text, but can I provide it in both the print version 
and a supported audio version. And Mindy, I, I love what you were saying about it doesn't even have to be a recorded thing sometimes. Sometimes because of copyright, that's not an option. So could it be that a peer is reading it or I as a teacher am reading it so that the kids have access? So again, it's as you're going into the lesson planning process, using the guidelines as a framework to frame your thinking to remove those barriers. So I think I want to go back to something that Bridget was saying before when she just raised the example of talking into her phone and, you know, having it record or like, I guess, do text to speech basically for texting. Um, And that just got me to thinking about the intersectionality between technology integration and UDL. And so I am just wondering, where do you see connections between those two things? Because this is, in fact, takeout. Yes, the ed tech takeout. So I feel like we need to bring in a tech component. Um, So what do you ladies think? Well, I could go on and on and on and on and on about this. Um, So my experience in the classroom, I was integrating technology for a long time before it became kind of the thing. And I think my biggest aha was teaching virtually. So we'll go back to that pandemic era and writing, writing a personal narrative. And I didn't know if any of my students had pencils or paper. And so I actually had a student who was empowered enough to say, Mrs. C, can we use that, you know, speech to text feature in Google Docs? And so I said, you know what? why don't you tell us more and demonstrate? And so, and this was a very, very talented, uh, bright student. And he proceeded to show all of the kids how to use that um, feature in Google Docs. And out of my eight years of fourth grade, I had, so everybody could use it. I had the best personal narratives I've ever had in that whole time I've taught that unit. And we actually got to the editing and the revising because the barrier of getting their ideas down was eliminated because they could just tell their story. So I think when you're looking at tech tools, there's so many out there. There's the different types of screen readers, but often have many other types of tools embedded, like Google Read and Write has dictionaries. It has highlighting tools. I learned a new thing. It can simplify a web page. So when students and myself get all cluttered with all of the side things, that can be removed. And then we can focus on a simplified content. A lot of current tech tools are really looking at that accessibility piece and what's good for one is good for all. So there's lots of tools we're working with like Edpuzzle has so many different ways to embed. You can scaffold the questions, you can have students do an, an audio answer. You can read what you said in that text so they can see that. You can embed links. So there's a lot of tools out there that are now thinking in a broad sense to cover those different things with engagement and representation and then allowing kids to express themselves in those multiple modalities. Yeah, I know it can be kind of <laughs> misleading. Universal Design for Learning is not about the technology. And yet here we sit, you know, digital learning consultants sitting around the table because as Bridget just said, we recognize that 
the use of technology in a learning landscape can unlock doors um, for your students. As Bridget was saying, I mean, all of these pieces about the accessibility, and I think about that expression piece of my own senior son struggles with like the physical act of writing. His, his fine motor skills have always been a struggle. And so because his brain goes way faster than his hand, unfortunately, you lose a little bit of what he knows. So unlocking those doors of if he could record himself, if he could create some sort of visual representation, you know, as Bridget was saying, you know, like thinking about access to the content, all of these things, technology really has unlocked doors. And again, thinking about some of our favorite tools, like let's throw out Pear Deck. We love us some Pear Deck. Um, but I mean, when you think about that universal design for learning, that's not its focus, but it does allow for your students to access the content and manipulate the information, check in that self-regulation, all gets built in. So it all of these different tools, immersive reader, I mean, like we could do a laundry list of all of these tools that really do help support and scaffold students. Is it focused just on the technology? No, but technology can be that powerful resource. So I think as like someone who might just be getting into this, that is kind of a place to look first. Like what technology am I already using and what opportunities could it provide outside of what I already recognize that it does, right? But if what other things are there, if I'm just getting started or I'm interested outside of the technology, which, you know, we've kind of covered a little bit, what else? Well, um, I'm in a fangirl. Uh, my edu crush is Katie Novak. Um, so, of course, going to her website, following mm -hmm. her on the, the social medias. She's always got great things. And there's some amazing she's got a YouTube channel that has some great uh, just introduction to what is UDL. Um, why does UDL matter? All those kinds of things. So those would be nice entry points to kind of explore. Bridget, what were some that you explored when you started? As Lynn mentioned, the guidelines can be a little overwhelming at the beginning. So even just getting on the CAST website and just reading about the history of the journey of how CAST came about and the thinking behind it was helpful for me. And then just seeing like choosing an area in the framework that spoke to what my needs were as an educator. So some of mine were like that sustaining effort and persistent and just reading a little bit about that and diving into that just little bitty bits um, and books like there's lots of great books, but there's also a lot of great articles and blogs. Um, there's a great podcast by a, uh, colleague named Lynn in the room and Jonathan, Divergent by Design. Um, so just starting, uh, it's almost like finding that entry point, as Lynn said earlier, finding that entry point for yourself with getting started and really thinking about what your needs are as an educator and what would best meet the needs of your students. And you guys are also teaching a course, right? So I don't know if we've no mentioned it in the corner booth. I think we probably have, but it's going on right now. So you couldn't enter it right now, but do you guys have another section planned as of right now, do you? Okay. We sure do, friends. Okay. Uh, we'll be back, hopefully, with another offering. However, in the meantime, shameless plug time, mm -hmm. Bridget and I have put together a micro-credential, uh, which is open to anyone, uh, not just those who are in the Grantwood area. Uh, it's a micro-credential called Foundations of Universal Design for Learning. So that would be a nice self-paced 
um, opportunity to learn while you wait for the next round mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. our course, which of course is also offered um, with a hybrid uh, mentality where we do have a couple synchronous moments, but they're all done via Zoom. Okay. So coming in the fall? Coming in the fall. Okay. Awesome. Well, ladies, is there anything else you'd want to share in your last moments before we wrap it up? I think when you're thinking about universal design for learning, um, really figuring out an entry point and really asking yourself, okay, what what are some barriers I'm noticing? What are some challenges that seem to be reoccurring? And how can I, knowing this, even in this last little bit of the school year, what could I try to like remove that barrier for your students? And again, it's it can be super simple stuff, an either or kind of opportunity. But like, is there something where you you've noticed the struggle that you could try something else? And if you need help brainstorming those options, obviously all the resources that we've shared are great. Um, Bridget and I are always happy to help and support. Uh, so definitely email, but you know, just trying to figure out, okay, what, what is something small that I could try and just smart start little. Yeah. I mean, right now you may or may not be listening to this in May of 2023, but now is the time to try something. It's very low stakes. I feel like now is the time to try something that you haven't tried before without worry. You're not going to screw your kids up. So Try something new. <laughs> it's your last chance. That is the best advice. Yeah. Try something new. You're not gonna. You're not gonna mess it all. Up. It's you fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. The children fine. will be fine. They'll be fine. That's right. They'll be fine. So we are wrapping it up for this school year and are taking some time off for ourselves this summer. We'll return in August, probably more like September of 2023. So please catch up over the summer while you're mowing the lawn and we wish you all the rest and relaxation you may find this summer. But we'd still love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at DLGWAA or send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram. You can always use our hashtag EdTechTO and share your thoughts with us too. But until next time, this has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. 